Welcome to the Working Dog Podcast. I'm your host, Allison Erskine. Come along while I interview the top handlers and clinicians around the world while hearing their stories of both failure and triumph and get their view on what it takes to have a good working dog. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Working Dog Podcast. On behalf of Laura and I, we want to thank you for tuning in once again. This episode is sponsored by Herding East Dock Dogs. Herding East Dock Dogs is a business operated by Samantha and Kyer Scott just east of Airdrie. They offer lessons, clinics, dog sales, stud dogs, and co-host multiple trials every year. They also are resellers of Anukshuk Dog Food and Summer Ranch Stock Dog Supplies. You can follow Herding East on Facebook or look at their website where you'll see Diamond T Cow Horses sponsored weekly blogs on stock dog training and their philosophies. I personally look forward to every blog post they put out. I get a ton from it and I hope you do too. Next, we'll sit down with Dustin Gonnet of Gonnet Performance Horses. Laura and I had a great conversation with Dustin and hopefully you enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Working Dog Podcast. Laura and I are sitting down with Dustin Gonnet of Nanton, Alberta today. Um, Dustin Gonnet is usually a cutting horse trainer, but he's also the son of Peter Gonnet, who we have previously um, interviewed. And so we worked some horses today and we're going to sit down and interview him and pick his brain a little bit. So Dustin, where did you first start off? Obviously you kind of Following your dad's footsteps a little bit with the dogs. Well, first off, thanks for having me on it. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, everybody knows my dad and mom, Peter and Pam Gonnet. Um, so, yeah, we grew up with the dogs. You know, dad doing the dog trialing thing. Uh, we were kids traveling to all the sheep trials with him. Um, and, yeah, I always had dogs growing up, helped dad with the dogs, I guess. Usually I got the ones he didn't get along with. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, you know, when I went on my own, I, cowboy and I had dogs with me. And then, and then I'll be honest, I got out of them. When I got into the cutting deal, I kind of got out of them for a while. Uh, I, I, I had, I, I think when I went and worked for Doug Reinhardt, I had one or two dogs with me. I sold everything else and um, ended up having to sell them eventually too. And I, and, I, and I had an old dog around for a while, I guess, but I didn't really get in back into the dogs till maybe 10 years ago. Got back... Uh, pretty heavy in it I guess not maybe the a bit with the competing but obviously big in between day work and feedlotting and and just everything we do mm-hmm. um got into the dog back into the dogs pretty pretty heavy I guess you'd say so so when you first got back in did you just get some from your dad or did you go and say I'm gonna try a new line kind of a deal or you know actually it was a bit of a funny story so <laughs> I had a dog called P was probably the Probably the first dog that got me really back into it. I mean, I had an old dog from dad uh, that, that you know, I kept forever and used. But, I mean, that really kind of got my interest back in it. It was called P. And it, the reason why I got him was he hated people. And nobody else could get along with his pup. And for some reason, so uh, a friend of mine, Will Nuttle, his daughter actually had this pup at a show. And it was, like I said, did not like people. Big black dog, good-looking, slick-haired dog. And... And, um, you know, when I, I seen that dog and I was like, I wanted to buy it. And of course she didn't want to sell it at the time. And she ended up going to Texas and phoned me one day and she says, would you, would you buy this dog from me? Cause nobody else was going to get along with it. And I said, yeah, I'd take him." And, uh, I think I bought the dog for 500 bucks or something. I don't even remember. It wasn't very much. Yeah. And that dog was, was, uh was awesome. Like, I'm not going to say he was the best dog I ever had, but he was probably the most loyal dog. Destry ended up trialing him a bit in his old age. Um, and actually a lot of my, quite a few of my good dogs now go back to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually like Seth Abrahamson has a female that he's producing lots of good dogs off of him that goes back to him. So there is a lot of dogs around that go back to him now. So I guess he was probably the first dog that got me back interested in breeding and, and having dogs around. And then yes, obviously um i've had dogs from from dad's bloodlines and and uh juan reyes's bloodlines and then and then that p dog so that's kind of the three 
lines I would say I've probably uh, stuck with the most in the last 10 years or whatever it's been. Maybe it's been more than 10 years since I've been back in it. But for, for since I got back real keen on the dogs, that's probably the three guys or the three lines that I would be, most of my dogs will go back to, mm -hmm. you know, that we raised. And I do buy lots of outside lines, but at this point, those are the ones that stay or stay around mostly. For so. sure, yeah. So why or what did you do with that dog to make it flip a switch to want to work with you? And uh, You know what, I don't know other than, uh, I guess I, for some reason, I do get along with them dogs that a lot of people don't get along with, mm -hmm. whether they're hard-headed, mean, whatever, I can get along with them. And, and I don't know if it's just uh, the work, we've got lots of work for them. Mm -hmm. Or my personality. I do probably it's my personality. I don't get along with soft dogs very good. Yeah. Um, I've always got even even as a kid. I never. Um, Dad and I always got along with the tougher dogs, and Mom got along with the maybe the little softer type dogs. Um, so it's probably a lot personality wise that that dog and I just kind of got along. And and I'll be honest, it was a challenge because he was mean to people and and. I sometimes seek out a little bit of a challenge every once in a while with a dog. So mm -hmm. I think just me and that dog hit it off. And, and, and the funny part, none of his pups were ever that way uh, that I know of that were ever really mean. He just, yeah. he was kind of tortured by some kids when he was little. And yeah. I guess that probably was part of it. But um, I don't really think I did anything to make him get old. Well, he never did get over it. He was always kind of protective of us, of the place. He just kind of naturally is that way. But yeah. um, I just get along with them kind, I guess. Yeah. So. Well, I don't think we should downplay your success in the cutting career. I know that we're yeah. here to talk about dogs, but personally, I want to hear about your career in the cutting <laughs> and how you how you found your your success in that in that sport because I think a lot of the discipline that's needed to kind of build a career with any type of animal or whatever, uh, there's a lot of crossover there, and so. Um, you said you started out working for Doug Reinhardt. You're raised, uh, riding a lot of community pastures, and uh, what kind of led you to that that ring? Uh, Dad bought a mare, so like growing up on the pastures and stuff. So I I did leave home when I was 16 and go start working on the pastures in the summer. But even when I did that, Dad would buy horses every year, a couple like well, a couple like 10 or 20. But um, he would he would buy lots of horses and then I would ride like he would he would keep a string and I would keep a string and anyway so he bought a mare uh, probably I was probably eighteen ish probably and he bought a mare out of a sale in Saskatoon that was by Doug Reinhardt's stud and Doug had rode her for ten months Greg Frick had sold the mare through the sale and Dad bought her and at that time we were you know obviously Agribition was doing the ranch horse competitions. Um, I went to some rainings at Vicky Bronze and some, you know, I was always trying to learn. We took a, I lived at the Brian Newbert clinics, all that kind of stuff. So we were always in that kind of a deal, but this mare with the cutting, it was one of those things. I mean, dad had worked for Bill Collins when he was 16 for a while. So it was always in, you know, dad had always told me, you know, the cutting was really interesting. And of course, you know, you, the Buster Welsh and all the stuff, mm -hmm. it was a, you know, I always looked at it as being the king of the cowboy sports sort of thing. So when he bought this mare, and I'll never forget, we'd bring her home and, you know, and we had the bull station there at the pasture. So I run in a bunch of bulls and, and, we, and at that pasture was all sand anyway. So we kind of had our own cutting pins. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was like, well, we got to see what 10 months of cutting training does. And, and <laughs> I remember riding at that time. I mean, we were riding some nice horses at the time, but this horse was so much higher leveled than anything we'd rode. So I took, you know, I went to some cuttings that year, like in the ranch cuttings and stuff um, when I had time on the weekends. Cause of course I took her to the pasture. I didn't let dad have her. <laughs> and, uh, um, so I used her and went to these cuttings. And then that fall, I took a Doug, Reinhardt, I think it was a fall or summer. Maybe I took a Doug Reinhardt clinic. Barb Stevenson actually put it on. I can't remember if it was her place or where we had the clinic, but um, I took that clinic with her, with that mare and, and then Doug had mentioned that, you know, we wanted to need somebody to start some colts that winter and blah, blah, blah. And so of course, when the pasture work was done in the winter, I'd always go home anyways and start colts and ride colts at home. And I thought, well, let's go to Alberta. That's supposed to be warmer there. Yeah, it is. And, uh, 
So I went to Doug, started Colts, and I'd actually honestly never did plan on going, never planned on staying there. I planned on going back to the pastures in the spring. And and Marla and I were, I can't remember if we were, no, we weren't engaged yet, but, but um, I, you know, I enjoyed it. And she kind of was the one that pushed me. She's like, well, if you want to stay doing it, you can always go back cowboying. Where's Marla from? So uh, right there at Hanley, oh, like 15 miles away. Her dad brought cows to the pasture. Her brother worked uh, worked for dad for a while at one point there. Um, so, yeah, we just, I just kind of got, it was a little bit by accident. I just kind of, because I enjoyed it, so I stayed with it and didn't go back to the pastures eventually. I just kept, you know, I worked for Doug for two and a half years and then went on my own. And, um, you know, I guess the rest is history, as they say, but. Um, yeah, we just, it was just one of them things, I guess, cause I, you know, grew up working cattle and stuff. Once I realized how to, you know, ride a cutting horse and what, what it needed to do. And, you know, obviously understood cattle. So that was a benefit to me. And, you know, like when you say about crossing over, so no different than the dogs. I mean, you got to understand stock to work a dog and you got to understand stock to ride a cutting horse. And you see a lot of people now, I mean, um, I've been in the business a long time and I see a lot of people that when they finish their career in cutting, they actually go to the dog world or they're in it a bit in their careers. Mm -hmm. You know, the director of judges, um, Russell McCord, he'd been in the dogs forever and then he quit his, or not quit, he retired from director of judges of NCHA and he's back dog trialing and training dogs, you know. So there's lots of people that kind of were both stormy winners was another fellow that, you you know, was forever worked for Collins and in the cutting and, and in dogs. So it's a it's it's two sports that actually uh, is very similar just in the fact that you're working with an animal that has to have natural instinct. It's not you can't take a pertrin and go cut 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 cows, and you can't take a German Shepherd or a, well maybe you could on a German Shepherd, but you can't take a lab and yeah. go work cows or sheep or anything. You know you do have to have an animal that's bred for it and has some natural instinct and and then uh, work with it from there. But but yeah, the the industry's been good to me, but it it. Um, yeah, it's just one of them things, I guess, I, I don't really, I wish I had a really cool story, but it's just kind of fell into it and stuck with it, and it worked out, so. Well, you've been incredibly successful with it. I mean, weren't you the youngest person to ever be, uh, or youngest million dollar? Or yeah, up, up here, not not in, 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 well, I don't think in the NCHA, but up here, I was, so Jerry Hansma, Dent Moffitt, um, so there's two things, I, I know I'm missing somebody, but. Like now, Travis Rempel made it, but there's the there is the Hall of Fame, like Riders Hall of Fame. So that's if you win over a million. Once you win over a million dollars, right, you you you're in it. Then there's uh, I think it's the Members Hall of Fame. So like Dave Batty's in that. Um, but I'm trying to think. I think there's five of us now. There's there's Dent Moffat and Jerry Hansman, myself, Travis Rempel. This is terrible. I should know the. Other. I'm, I think there's one more, and this is bad. Um, It'll come to me here while we're talking, right. probably. But, but there's not very many people up here yeah. that that have made it. So yes, it is. Yeah. It's it's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's cool because it's a milestone. Mm-hmm. But you know, I got a friend that we talk about this lots, and it, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't change anything. You still have to get yeah. up and you still got to train your horse. You know, no different than the dog world. I mean, I've seen what lots of guys have done over my life, especially my dad. He still got to get up and go train them dogs. They don't train themselves. Yeah, exactly. And so. Yes, it's a milestone. It's great, and people, and I, and I mean, yes, I have a, I have a plaque on the wall that shows that I did it. But, but you still have to go do the work. Right. You still have to, you still have to. As much as I'd love to take all the credit, the only reason why I got there is because I got to ride good horses. Yeah. You know, the horses is what got me there. It wasn't. Yes, I had to train them, but if I didn't have the good horses, uh, I wouldn't have got there. Same as the guys with the good dogs. You can't, you can't go win a dog trial with a real bad dog. So right. you got to have some. You got to have some quality animal to work with. So. I can't take all the credit. Most of it, it goes to the uh, There's a whole basket of other challenges that come with that. Like we were talking earlier about you know, managing your clients and, you know, treating your business with some integrity so that people have, you know, that trust in you that you're, you're going to be honest with them. And like, that's a, that's a big part of the business. And like you yeah. mentioned earlier, training horses is a small part of it. And, you know, to be able to manage both and at a young age, I think says a lot to a person's character, but like, but it is like the work ethic that goes into kind of building these animals is huge and I don't know it's um so maybe uh mention 
if you want to talk about a little bit of the crossover on training horses to dogs or yeah you know so one person like we uh i'm trying to think how many years ago i'd have to ask dad there's probably like five years ago we had jack knox come up and do a clinic here mm-hmm. and i was always intrigued with jack because he'd been around ray hunt and he has the same kind of theories and that's what i grew up with the ray hunt brian newbert joe walters all them guys i mean they were my idols as a kid in the horse deal the horsemanship thing and and so when I find, and you know, of course, dad knows Jack forever. And he told me, talked to me or told me about him. And so when I got to actually, when he was here and got to spend a couple of days with him, it was very interesting on how, you know, how he trains a dog and his thoughts about it, because it, it's exactly what we do in the horse world. It's just, I'm dealing with a horse instead of a dog. Mm-hmm. You might be dealing with sheep instead of cattle. You know, now in the dog world, the cattle dog trials has become huge again. So, you know, there are lots more people dealing with the dogs and the cattle. So it's very similar it's it's again because you're dealing with an animal's natural instinct you have to have that to get started to have any kind of you know i can't go make that dog go um get around them sheep or them cows to bring them to me just as much as i can't make that horse work a cow Mm -hmm. so um when i got back into it like i said i kind of you know i had a dog when i went i had i had four or five dogs when i was cowboy and went to doug's and i sold sold them all but one and i kept one around there for a year or so and then i had to sell him because he was a bit of a fighter <laughs> kept kept beating up old shauna's uh, labs <laughs> so i sold him but then i didn't you know i didn't have like i said i had an old dog around for a while just to kind of get my cattle into work horses but but when i got back into it i didn't i kind of i guess that's what made me um want to get back into the dogs because Yes, the horses, you know, it's, I've had lots of fun doing it and I enjoy it every day working the horses. But to be able to go get a dog, it was a challenge again. To get a dog to work cattle the way I needed to do it at the time, you know, because um, I do a lot of day work still. Like I still, I mean, in the busy site season, I mean, my dogs will see 10,000 head a week. Wow. You know, like we have two ranches that we day work for that have 4,000 yearlings each. Besides, there's three or four different ranches. They'll have 400 to 800 cows that we help. And I mean, I'm not there every week, but my dogs see a lot of cattle. So it takes, I needed a, I needed a, I don't want to say a special kind of dog, but a dog with some brains. And that was no different than a cutting horse. I need a horse with brains to learn how to work all, all different types of cows because our cows are changing from 20 years ago when I got into the business, even growing up, um, cattle weren't you know cattle were trailed to the pasture more yes there was cattle that come in on trailers or liner trailers i don't even remember a liner honestly i don't remember liners coming in at the pasture at that time some of the pastures i worked definitely the cattle come in on liners but nowadays i mean we were talking about it earlier the cattle at some of these trials are terrible because yes they're feedlot cattle and yes they might see a person a horse or a dog but it's not much contact it's not like um the old days where everything was done a horseback yeah. with a dog or you know when i was a kid that bull station i mean those bulls every day seen a dog and a team of horses yeah. every day not once in a while every day yeah. so they were way easier to handle they were way better so when you go work them with a horse or a dog there's way more respect involved where now we teach our cattle because of the feedlots and because of how ranches are managed now we're teaching them cattle to be so bunched up they only move down alleys or fenced areas yeah. They're never taught how to string out. They're never taught how to respect a horse or a dog. So then we go to these competitions and now we got 20 minutes at a cutting to settle those cows and get them to where they respect a horse. But yet their whole life they've been actually taught not to respect a horse in, a, in, this, in the environment that they were born in, raised in. Not, same with the dogs. So why I'm saying that is I've had to change how I've trained horses over the years because our cattle have changed. And the type of dog I use now is different than probably what we used years ago because the cattle have changed. Mm-hmm. They've gotten tougher in a lot of ways. Oh. Um, and it's just the circumstances I'm in. I'm not saying, you know, some of these ranches where the cattle can get dog broke and get used to your dog, you can use, probably gonna piss somebody off here, but you can use a lesser dog yeah. because them dog, them cattle are, they understand when that dog is presented, they'll move off that dog. I go to a lot of places when I get phone calls, it's usually when they have tried three or four times and they can't get them out of the trees. Or, yeah. I mean, yes, just a couple of days ago, I got a phone call. They tried moving some pairs 
and they lost them. So then they phoned me. And so now you're already, those cattle have learned to get away from you. So when you show up with your dogs, they're already going to fight your dogs mm -hmm. because they already, two days before they got away from the ones that they had there. So you got to have a dog that's tough, but still got brains because again, we've all been down that road. I mean, of course I've, because like I told you, I like challenges. So I've, I've bought them tough dogs that hang and drag and everybody's like, oh man, that dog's tough. They're not tough. They're dumb. Yeah. Yeah. They're physically tough, but they're, they're dumb. Yeah. And that's no good. Yeah. Just as much as one that's really smart that can't actually, that sits back there and bounces back and forth and doesn't have the presence to move yeah. a cow or a yearling or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with the cutting. I can't have a horse too bold that wants to lean on a cow and push on a cow, but I also don't want one that's too scared of a cow and wants to get away because if I go cut a thousand pound feedlot steer at a cutting, I mean, I'm going to be in the herd in two moves. Yeah. So it's trying to find that horse that's brave, but yet respectful yeah. and the same with the dog. So that's where I guess the two things for me has been a challenge the last years because I really feel like our cattle have super, have changed a bunch yeah. with all the way the economy is and the society is, the way the workforce is. Mm -hmm. Our cattle have changed and it's made our dogs different and our horses different. And most people don't really pay attention to it and they get frustrated with their dog or their horse, but yet, I like I told you guys earlier, that's only half the equation. Yeah. You know, and the cutting horses, riding them is one thing, but learning how to read cattle is the other, and I truly believe that in the dog. You can train a dog. Lots of people are good dog trainers, but they don't, they're not very good stockmen. Mm -hmm. You know, Bill Riddle says it in the cutting. Uh, a horse trainer knows how you do something. A horseman knows why you do it. Yes. And in the dog world, I feel the same. Yeah. You know, good dog trainers can train a dog, but stockmen know how to work dogs. Yeah. And, and stockmen can adjust to those situations as far as the way the cattle are. Are we working flighty cattle today? Yeah. Numb cattle, fat cattle, pairs, it always changing. And stockmen will figure that out. No different a horseman on a, on a horse that's maybe a, a little bit afraid of cows or nervous about cows or, you know, every horse is different and a horseman can figure out how to get that horse to work a cow to the best of his ability or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and deal with whatever's thrown at you. Now, do you, when you go out and see you get called out on a job like that, like you're saying with the pairs where you can't get them out, do you take, like, do you often take a bunch of dogs with you and work them in? in yeah, like, it depends on the deal. Like, I usually always pairs. I'll run two or three dogs at a time usually because it's, like, that was one was pretty good. I think there was only maybe 150 pairs, so it was pretty, pretty easy, I guess. I know it sounds, but, I mean, it's just what you get used to. Like, um... Dad's probably gonna be bad when I say this, but there was I always joke with him. And one day I phoned him like I think we'd moved like seventeen hundred yearlings that day, and there was only like four of us. And I had four dogs that day, hmm. and uh, and the guy that owned the place I think had two, and then there was two riders without dogs. But I talked to Dad that day, and he, they were all they had moved one hundred and twenty pairs, and there was five of them, and they each had dogs. And I was always bugging him. I said, "Would well, you guys just ride along and hold hands, or what?" <laughs> so. So again, that's what I mean. It's just what you get used to. Yeah. And, and, and so, yes, when I'm working with pairs like that, it, and most of these guys I work for now, I've been there long enough. I kind of know the scenario I'm getting into. Right. Right. So yes, I will take a lot. Like when I leave home, I mean, I have a four dog dog box and it's usually full and there might be a dog or two in the truck or trailer. Yeah. I'll, I leave home with a lot of dogs and some days I use them all and some days I use one mm -hmm. but most of them jobs especially pairs i usually always run two dogs definitely an older dog and maybe a younger dog and and i do that for because again the pairs that we deal with usually run in rough country a lot of predators so they're not overly dog friendly even though i would consider them they they know what dogs are and most of those guys have pretty good dogs so it's not that they're 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 not bad because the guys don't have good enough dogs they're bad because they've been fighting bears and wolves yeah, exactly. all summer and so you got to have a dog like them older dogs usually are more experienced about staying out of the way and usually the dog, young dogs tough enough to bail in there when it shouldn't and yeah. maybe help the old dog out so i usually team up i try to team the dogs up to what i think we're up against that day you know yearlings it's a little different i you know i'll run more young dogs if we're on a big group of yearlings just because i can usually and again i'm pretty fortunate where i go if i cause a wreck i've been there enough and i know the guy's good enough i warn them i'm like hey i'm letting some young dogs go so I need to stay near the front and, yeah. and, or if I get a dog up there, somebody be yelling at me so I can get up there and get a hold of it or something right. before you lose them all. But I've, 
I've turned 800 yearlings around on a, on guys before because of a pup, you know. Yeah. And and like I said, I'm pretty yeah. fortunate. I can I can get away with it, but that's and again, I I I greatly appreciate those guys let me do that because I it it does. I do get some young dogs trained um because of those situations because I can. I I mean if I if I cause a wreck, it's like, well, they know I'm going to stay there till we get it done anyways. Right. And they're good enough that that they know I'm not in the back visiting and my dogs are turning the cows around too and I'm not doing nothing about it. They know I'm going to be trying to fix the wreck before it becomes too bad. Well, I find so. it tough sometimes to take my dogs out with people because they want to mess with them. Yeah. Or they don't understand what's going on yeah. or whatever and it's it can be... What do, yeah. you, what do you personally do? Because I have this question a lot um, about someone bringing their dog and someone wants to, you know, tell it what to do or something like that. How do you confront that situation you know there's lots of ways to say it and yeah to be warned this is where peter was wondering if you're gonna yeah this you know, is where say i'm gonna say something like, words yes i know yeah. so you <laughs> can be politically correct or not it's up to you i'm gonna try and be politically yeah. i'm gonna try and be <laughs> politically correct yeah. um so yes it's again it's a little bit it depends on the situation and where i'm at mm-hmm. um some places i can be the boss ish mm-hmm. so i can be fairly forceful about not telling them what my dogs telling telling them not to tell my dogs what to do um but i'll be honest most of my good i i again i probably if i'm worried about what they're going to say i probably won't run very many young dogs because my young my older dogs won't listen to anybody but Mm -hmm. me yeah will not i've been in some wrecks because of it where i was there it would have been handy if they listened to somebody (laughs) because i couldn't get there i was too far away or whatever but most of my older dogs will not like my taff dog will not work for anybody mm-hmm. like nobody and and so i don't you know i i've been yelled at for it i will i have been when my dogs won't listen to anybody but most most people around here are pretty good but i have yes i've been in a few arguments over <laughs> the years yeah. conversations about <laughs> yeah. uh, the ethics of not telling okay. telling my dogs what to do um but again most of my work now I get called because, yes, because my dogs, um, most people know the type of dogs I run around here, right. but also I'm getting called because they either can't get nobody else or they've already tried and, and, mm-hmm. and they need, they need a do- them dogs to get it done. And so if I cause a bit of a wreck or my dogs aren't doing what they're supposed to, they kind of live with it because, you know, they're the ones that ask me and, and I have enough work to where, if they don't like it, I just don't come back. Right. You know, I yeah. just, I'll just say, well, sorry, this isn't for me. And I'm, you know, try to be polite, but I, I mean, I just go somewhere else. You know? You're able to set that boundary though, which is really what needs to happen probably earlier on if it yeah. appears. Well, like I always tell everybody, I said, if you cuss on my wife, she's probably going to beat you up. If you cuss on my dog, you don't want to see me be too. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and everybody can understands that kind of, that's what I mean by the code of ethics of, yeah. like, look, if they're my dogs, right. if they're causing trouble, you tell me that they're causing trouble and I'll go fix it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to fix right. it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and again, I've, most of the guys I've had conversations with about that do understand because I am dealing with, usually dealing with ranchers and farmers that, that get that, mm-hmm. that have, you know, or they have dogs themselves, so they understand that. I don't, you know, very seldom do I ever go anywhere anymore, um, I guess, where they don't know that my, you know, what my dogs are like. And that, I, and like, again, if my dogs are causing a wreck, usually I'm already on my way yeah. to mm-hmm. fix it. Yeah. And and most guys are pretty good about it then. If they know you're there, you're on your way. I'm usually whipping and spurring to get there to mm-hmm. give that dog crap for being in the wrong spot or yell at him or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I've you know I have been in some hot water over the years, so yeah. over it. Yeah. Um, what about like getting those dogs to be independent and work a long ways away from you? How do you build up to that? It's a big type of the dog. It's 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 got to be again a type of dog that can tolerate it. Um, but it's again, it's just the it's the the environment that I put them in. Um, I always start out, for example, this morning I was gathering some yearlings for a place to feed and I kicked a nine month old pup out there. Cause again, 
the boss wasn't there, so <laughs> I was the boss. So I take those opportunities and I'll let I'll turn a pup out to work with, and I had two older dogs with them. So that pup already got, you know, and I wasn't a long ways away, but I was a couple hundred yards away. So that pup, right off the bat, and it was a good situation. The cattle were very dog broke already. Yeah. They were coming to feed. It was one of those spots where when I kicked that pup out, it was, I had m more chances of this being a successful turnout than being a wreck. So I try to my best abilities, again, because I'm going to most places I've been lots, so I kind of have a pretty good lay of the land, the fences, where we're, you know, the situation we're in, and I'll kick a pup out like that to, to build his confidence, to go with them older dogs. So when I send them older dogs three, 400 yards, that pup's with them. Yeah. And, they, and they learn, they kind of learn that they can be out there working by themselves. So then when I, as that pup gets older and I start working them more independently, he's not worried if I send him a long ways out there because he's already had experience with a few older mm -hmm. dogs. Mm -hmm. And that was something that we didn't do that a lot growing up. Like dad worked, you know, you know, he would go do something with older dogs, pair two or three. I, that was something I probably figured out later on in my life um, with the work that I've done to where I'll try. I, I turn them dogs loose maybe a little sooner than most people would like, but I try to, and it gets me in trouble every once in a while because, of course, you think it's going to be a good situation and it turns into a wreck. And, yeah. and you sometimes, you know, you, I've set the odd young dog back. But I'll be honest with you. I've never had a great dog that couldn't handle a bad situation, even at a young age. Right. Because again, I've never put them out there with with them by themselves. There's always an older dog or two out there. If the, if it becomes back western, up, yeah. those older dogs are backing that young dog up. So even if it's a bit of a bad situation, um, I've never had a great dog not come through it. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. if I've had a dog that maybe didn't come through it real good, they pro they weren't that good of dogs in the end, anyways. Mm -hmm. They were maybe a little average or below average, you know. But is there some that like, yeah, they're maybe below average dogs, but if put in the right situ situations, they, they turn out really well despite that because oh, they were built up that way. Totally. Yes. Like, I mean, I had some dogs a couple of years ago. We were, so the one place I worked, I uh, do a lot of work. He got hurt. The guy, the boss got hurt. The guy that owned it got hurt. So I was there lots that year. Mm -hmm. And I think I had like eight or 10 dogs on the go that year. And I trained some pretty average dogs to be pretty good because I just had good situations every day for them dogs. Yeah. So they became probably above average type dogs because of that because of the situations we could put them in every day. And so yes, I would yes, sometimes them dogs become good, but like I mean, I do get this from my dad is I do have a fairly high standard of a dog that I want. Now it doesn't mean he's perfect. Like I don't have a, I've never had a perfect dog. They mm -hmm. always have a something that maybe I don't care for. Mm -hmm. But the standard that I have is, is they are capable of doing the jobs that I need to do. They might not always do them the way I want them, but they can get the job done that I need done. Yeah. Now other people might not like those dogs, yeah. but that standard I never falter from. I might, you know, again, I got a dog right now. He does some things that drives me nuts, but one thing I can tell you is, I mean, he can, He'll hunt cattle. I've never sent him anything that he cannot bring back. They might not always bring it back the way I want, right. but it will come back. Has trialing had an influence on that standard at all? Or has it just always been strictly the job? For me or the industry? Yourself, I guess, first, and then we can uh, maybe talk about the industry after. That's where I could get myself in trouble. Well, <laughs> um, hang on, Peter. So, uh, for myself, yes and no. Like, obviously, yes, I, I, I don't, I, you know, dad definitely taught me how to get one trained mm -hmm. properly so yes I want one ideally I want one that I can go win a trial with yeah if I wanted to go to a trial but but I don't the work comes first and yeah. dad definitely always was a big believer in that and I mean I, I I totally I guess got that from him and so they have to go do the job first mm -hmm. and if I can get them trained good enough to go to a trial I will now, Dad takes it way more than me and, and way better at it than me as far as getting one trained to go win at a sheep trial, cow trial, I don't care where it is. He's way, way more into that. Um, you know, that's, I guess, where the cutting deal for me, I, I mean, you know, I'll get a horse way more tuned up for the, to work a cow, and, and that was always my thing where Dad was, you know, on the dogs. He would get his way more tuned up to go win at a, at a trial than I, what I want to at this point in my life. Yeah. And... But the dogs I run too now, they take a little longer to get ready for a trial, right. like to go to a, to a dog trial. Um, 
But again, you know, if you work at it, it, it yes, it is influenced. I mean, obviously the basics to training one are, in my opinion, the same. But at the end of the day, they do have to go. If they cannot go do the basic job requirements, they don't get to stay here. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and I don't, like, and I sell a lot of dogs and trade a lot of dogs. But that doesn't mean they're not all good dogs. They're, and, and it's, again, I'll put, I always tell everybody, if, if, if I think they're good, you'll never buy a cheap one off of me. Right. Um, if, if, I, if, I, if they live up to my standards, you won't buy them cheap. And... But if I don't get along with one, you might buy it cheap and it might be a great dog for you. And it might be lots of times my problem is a personality class because I do know it takes a special kind of dog for me to get along with. Well, there ain't a lot of people that are doing exactly what you are doing and, you know, their their expectations are probably a lot different. Too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And your need for a dog is a little bit different than other people. Um, like I've always said, we're, we're actually quite privileged. Um, to have dogs over here like we have them because we want them not really because we need them but in your circumstance you do need them and that's a rarity nowadays a lot of people don't need their dogs they just like having them around yeah and that's like i have a jack russell for a pet the porticolis <laughs> are not pets but yeah. yes i do and again with the, like we have you know with the bit of feedlot work we do and stuff i and as as everybody knows help is getting worse every year to find mm. And I can run like we, like I can run this place by myself with the dogs. Like as far as the processing, and now it's great when Destry and Marla help me process. But when I, I mean Destry and I can process, I don't know, lots in a day with me and him and two dogs. Mm -hmm. And I'll have them dogs working in the back, and and you know, <laughs> I, I mean we of course help a lot of people. So there's lots of different places we go where they run a lot bigger crews than us, and don't go as fast either. And, and I think sometimes when you got the right kind of dogs, I can process, me and Destry can, or me and Marta, whoever's with me that day, we can process just as fast or faster with good dogs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But yeah. again, it takes the right kind of brain power because again, it's not, it's a hard job, but again, you would need a dog. Juan Reyes told me this and I, and I'm a, I stand behind it is, I want a dog uh, tough enough to fight the fight, but smart enough not to get hurt. Yeah. So especially when it comes to processing, I need that dog tough enough to last all afternoon or all day processing, but not be crippled when I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. And that takes a special kind of dog. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's kind of become a bit of a fad um, to have a little bit of an alligator and one that's brainless as well, right? And so it's, it's a little bit of a, a fine line to be able to have that, but then also a brain. Yeah. Right? And that's where, <laughs> trying not to get myself in trouble here, when you talk about the industry and what it was like as a kid growing up with dad and what it is now, it's it's done some roller coasters as far as I'm concerned, and you're 100 percent right. Yeah. The fad has gotten to where when the dog the cow dog trailing. So when I when I was a kid that you know everybody was more of the rancher farm oriented. They wanted a dog that could do it all. They could they could go move the cows. They could work the sheep. They could move the pigs, the chickens, whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. it was a dog, and it, and it didn't matter um, if it took you till the dog was five before it was good to trial. It was not a big deal. And the cutting world was the same way. I mean, for years, the fraternity horse was not even an issue. And then, you know, it, it become when three-year-olds became winning so much money, obviously it changed the breed of horse that we looked after mm -hmm. because we wanted that horse to be mature at three and show and stuff. And yeah. now the dog world has kind of done the same thing. The fraternities, the dog trialing, it really changed. So as I grew, you know, and, and that was, I guess, maybe partly what I got out of it for a way. I mean, obviously I was in the cutting, but... As I got older, the dogs, this is where I'm gonna get myself in trouble here, but the dogs changed to where they got weaker and they were easier to train, but you couldn't, you couldn't go do the job. Like you couldn't go get a job done with them anymore. Mm -hmm. And then it changed again. The cow dog trials got popular again. And then it went, like you're saying, it went the other way to where you get these meatheads that are tough and ignorant and, and yeah, they'll hang and drag and get stepped on, but, um, they had no brains, no stock sense, no nothing. And and now I and I still think the industry's a little bit both ways. I mean, you know, I see bloodlines and dogs that I, I wouldn't give you two cents for because they can't do my job. It doesn't mean they're good not good dogs for somebody else in a different situation, but in my situation they're useless because they can't handle what I give to them. Just as much as 
the dog that hangs and drags and gets stomped all over. He has no no stock sense, no doesn't look at the whole picture. Mm-hmm. You can't send him around 300 yearlings because he just sees one and runs at it and tries to drag it to the ground. Mm-hmm. That's no good to me either. Mm-hmm. But it, there is a small group of people that is trying to find that balance again of what I would say we had when I was a kid, mm-hmm. of that dog that could do it all, that had the brains, that has the toughness, has the trainability, because again, you run into that when they get too tough, they're not worth, they're too hard to train or you can't get them trained. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a dog, cause, and I'm just as bad to blame. I had a, I bought a dog in Texas one time. Um, same thing, we, they, th- they literally threw this dog over the fence into a holding pen that was solid of roping cattle. And I mean, this thing's grabbing them by the throat, getting stomped all over and I'm like, I'm buying that dog <laughs> and I'm like that dog's tough I can buy I can use that dog so I buy him bring him home actually about two that trip bring him home and I mean I'll never forget this and I had like I forget a few dog and calves and I'm working them out in the field and I'm working all these other pups and I got cattle running everywhere and I'd been knocking on this dog pretty good to just get him to balance like yes he would drag one to the ground but he wouldn't balance so I'm getting after him trying to get him to balance I finally get him to balance can't move the dog, broke calves. No. You know, no power, no natural, not, like, yes, he was tough, but there was no stock sense, no brains, no nothing. Mm-hmm. And so either way, in my opinion, is not good. And again, this fraternity thing is great. The, the cow dog fraternity is better because they've got a little more age on them. Like they're, what is it, three or something, whatever it is. So those dogs that take a little more time to train, and I'm not a fan of late maturing dogs. Right. I'm not, I do not promote that in the breed at all. My, even my own bloodlines, if I got one that I got to wait to 10 months to a year to turn on, they ain't going to live here. Yeah. I want them turned on early, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I'm going to train them. I just means I'm going to keep them and I can kind of see what they, they're doing. And I, and I think it's important. I'm a big believer, no different in our fraternity horses. It's not that I want them cutting with my hand down at two years old, but I want to know what kind of brain power they got mm-hmm. to see if it's worth riding. The same as a pup, when I turn them loose in the sheep, I don't care if they're hanging and dragging, but after a while, I want to see what kind of brains he's got too. And what, what's he going to do? How's he going to think his way out of a bad situation? And mm-hmm. if I see that at a young age, then I want to keep that pup. Like, so for example, the one I turned loose this morning, he's nine months old. And I've worked, you know, I've definitely balanced. He's got to lie down, calls off. But I've put him in enough situations that I knew that dog was a thinking dog. So that's why today he'd never been a worked horseback. He'd ne- he, one time I've turned him out in the field to gather a pin with some older dogs. So literally today was the second time. And I mean, he literally went to the drag and stayed back there and worked like them older dogs. But I, I knew he's a thinking dog. And at nine months, so I'm not going to do that very often, but I'm, I'm going to do it every once in a while to make sure that that brain is still thinking. Mm-hmm. He's still working. I don't want him back there ripping and tearing and dragging one down. But I also don't want them, like, following the other dogs eating. Sniffing flowers. You know, yeah. sniffing flowers either. Because that doesn't, you know. Yeah. So I think it's important that the world, I think the dog world needs to get a little more balance, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think the trialing has influenced it both ways. The the sheep trials and the cow trials have, have, have caused it to go extremes on both ways. Extreme, maybe soft and easy to train. As much as the cow trials made them hang and drag and tough to train. And I think it needs to find some common ground there. And I think everybody needs to be honest about their dogs. Right. You know, uh, I, I mean, dad and I talk about this all the time. I think the, <laughs> the biggest thing is people aren't honest with what they actually have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Very true. And it's the same in my, in the horse world is full of it. Yeah. I mean, you fall in love with your own genetics. Yeah. And in, and in, and they, and in the horse world it's because, well, if I own the horse, it has to be good. Or, well, I raised this dog. It has to be good. I don't mean nothing. They don't know who, they don't know what you paid for them. And they don't know any of that other than what their natural instinct is and what you've done with them. Right. So. Yeah. They don't owe it to you either, really. No. And they don't. And, and so, yes, I guess that's where, um, I would say that if you look at it from a realistic point of view, you'll get farther faster. When you start lying to yourself about what you've got, whether it's on a horse or a dog, it's going to take you a little longer to get there. <laughs> you know. Uh, talking about the fraternities, like in the horse world, it was kind of controversial about having those because it puts a lot of pressure on those younger horses at an earlier age. And I mean, we could get into that, but in the dog world, how do you see that comparing? 
um, you know, trying to reach a certain age. And like you said, there is, there's an older age on the dog, so it's a little bit, and you're not dealing with, um, you know, physical development as much. But do you see, like, some of these dogs getting blown up a little bit, trying to reach a certain oh, yeah. uh, age? And you want to speak to that a bit? So, again, in the horse world a little bit, I guess, yes, that was a huge controversy I don't even know how many years ago over the fraternity thing. And it was exactly what you're talking about. The horses, you got, you know, you got confirmation, you got, uh, you know, the maturity level, all that stuff. Now, the horse world did change the genetics to make it so that these horses are capable of handling the riding, handling the training and all that. Okay. Now, in the dog world, it... In the cow fraternity thing, I think they've done a good job because, again, the age is, what is it, three and a half or something. Yeah. You could have one or damn near four mm -hmm. is the fraternity. That still has enough time if that dog is a little bit immature or a little tough to train or needs more miles. You have some time. Now, you guys will know better than I do because I don't follow the sheep world as much anymore. Uh, but I do believe the nursery deal is a lot younger. Like, I, I want to say so. it's like a year and a half-ish or... Yeah. It's, 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 it's a lot younger. Yeah. Now, I don't agree with that. Okay. Now, if the dog is capable of handling it, yes, I'm all for it. Exactly. But that's where I have seen, and again, I think that's what caused some of these bloodlines to change, um, maybe not in my favor, yeah. is to get a dog at, at a year, year and a half old that can run an open course, Yes, that is tough. And yes, it is like the fraternity horses. But and, and yes, there is dogs out there. I know dogs that have that have been able to be trained um, that that a year, year and a half could run that open course. And I'm totally fine with that. What I'm not fine with is everything revolving around that. Right. Same as I'm not fine with it in my own industry of the cutting. I am not fine with blowing a three-year-old up just to make a three-year-old. Yes. Um to make that, to, you know, and obviously we have lots of money to win at it. And I know in the dog world, it's getting that way too. So I'm not, I'm fine with pushing that animal to see what he can give, but I'm not fine with pushing it past the limits of where you have nothing left. Right. And blowing that animal up. And I just feel like the, the cow dog trial, you don't see it as much because of that age, being at three and a half or almost four, you know. But then with that in mind, I mean, those, those broke three-year-old dogs are probably running the open anyway. So then what's yeah. the point? Yeah, and I, some of them, but I mean, like it's not all of them, and I no. get the goal, and you know, setting a setting a ceiling for competition, yeah. I guess. Which and, is and most of them, like I know, for example, I know all my dad's dogs at three that are in the nursery, or he's running them in the open, or he's been running them in the open. Yeah. So most of those good guys have got their dogs in both, anyways. You bet. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I just, I guess for the dog's sake, I think the age wise is a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, maybe they could alter it. And I don't know the one, the big fraternity down South. I don't know what the age is like on the American stock dog one, their American cow dog one. I'm not sure what it is. I know the NCHA, the national cattle dog, it's three and a half or almost right. four, yeah. but I'm just not a fan of the, the year to year and a half one, because I does, it does make people push them dogs to maybe what, to where I just, I just think they take some natural ability out of them dogs that maybe they just need a little bit longer time. And and, yeah. and I'm I, and I'm the first one to say in my industry I've seen a, lots of I've seen hundreds of horses blowing up yeah. trying to make the the thrill fraternity and I don't agree with it either. Yeah. You know, yeah. yes I make a living riding thrills, yeah. but I also I, I I also can tell you I will I will tell a customer if I don't think that horse will make a thrill, we're not going. Yeah. Like. Right. And the unfortunate part to this is, is when you can't make those fraternities where the money is, that's what causes the conflict when we're talking about dealing with customers and stuff. Right. And then maybe the dog world, it's not as much because there's, you know, yes, there's people making a living training dogs and, and, you know, guys like Alistair McCray and all that, that, that do make a living training dogs. I'm sure they deal with the exact same things as I do with the fraternities if they got fraternity dogs. But most people that are, that are going to these cow dog fraternities or sheep fraternities with these young dogs, they own them anyways. They're owning them. So when they wreck them, they only got themselves to answer yeah. to. They don't have somebody else to answer to. Do you see it moving towards, um, I don't know how you'd say it, because they don't have open versus non-pro in dogs, but where there's going to be more 
uh, client dogs out there getting. Uh, uh, yeah, I, in uh, Texas, it's already huge. It is, eh? It's yeah, already it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, in the crossover between the cut and the dog world, is, it's huge down there, and there's lots of these people in the cut world that have cutting horses that are buying these dogs and putting them with guys like Jeff Christensen and oh. some of them guys down there with that with the fraternities, Roy Cox. All I mean, I don't know if Roy's doing it as much anymore, but there's lots of those guys because um, they have those new dog training online, and there's a yeah. few of them guys in there that I don't know the guys. I just know who they are. But they're training dogs, outside dogs, for those fraternities. Yeah. So it, it is becoming uh, a bigger deal down there than maybe up here. I mean, yes, there's people up here that train outside dogs and will show them and stuff, but but it's 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 gotten to be more of a business down south than than up here. Well, stay tuned to see what kind of influence that has, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And again, I hope it it is one of those things like um, it's it's all good if it's done in the right manner. But as long as I just think the part that spooks me. And I see it coming back in the cutting because we went too far the other way. Was you you do lose you you lose the the what I would consider the true essence to it. Yeah. Like we talked earlier, I have dogs because I need them. Yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, if there'll come a day where maybe I don't need them, I'll probably still have a dog or two, but I won't have ten. Right. Kind of a thing. Like I'm I'm always you know yes I love working the dogs, but I guess the trouble is is when you get into the money whether it's fraternities or anything like that, it changes it It changes it changes to where you kind of lose the true essence to why you have them dogs or why you have that cutting horse. And the cutting industry has done it. Now they're getting back, you know, they're starting, for example, in the cutting because all they worried about was the cutting. So we lost the good feet and withers and yeah. structure to a cutting horse. Well, now that's coming back. They're going, okay, we've got these horses now to where they're cutting and they're really working, but we need some structure back mm -hmm. to them. And I just hope the dog world doesn't go too far either way right. and then have to work their way back, mm -hmm. you know, is what I hope that they don't lose that natural work of a dog, like that natural be able to go do a job first and trial second. But I am a little bit worried. We've already, we're already getting a little bit too far to where the trials mean too much and the work doesn't. And, and again, because the society's changed, you guys, people don't have cows and you know, the, every farmer had 30 cows or hundred cows or whatever. I don't mm -hmm. care, but, and sheep and, those farms are done. It's, it's, it's big outfits or it's nothing. And it's become a hobby. And yes, it'll change it. But I think they have to be careful because if you go too far one way, you run into trouble. No matter which way it is, you're going to run into trouble. One glimmer of hope, you talked about it earlier and Callan talked about, about it, is how much um, is to be gained in, in some of these um, labor shortages that are going on in feedlots and pastures around and how much a guy can get done with your dogs. Yeah. And that's huge. There's, I think it's, there's yeah. real value in that. And, uh, you know, you can't find help. It's one of the biggest challenges in our industry. And, and if, um, you know, I really hope some of these, like, well, the people are doing it, I mean, but yeah. getting awareness and, you know, maybe, um, like resources for employers even that are going to maybe start getting some, uh, maybe dog clinics or whatever, get, get yeah. some good dogs underneath the, or with their employees. And there's definitely some bridges that need to be fixed, obviously. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, well, I got a call this of, yeah. week from a feedlot, uh, and it was an employer has a really, an employee really likes, it's his birthday, wants to buy him a dog. Yeah. Well, it's that's like, awesome. that's awesome. Yeah. But, but I mean, like, how are you going to do that? Yeah. How are you going to make sure you get something that work works? And then what is he going to, how yeah. is he going to figure out how to run it? Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a whole lot of, but it's a good a step in the right direction in yeah. between there, but it is a, it's a good yeah. sign. The initiative yeah. is there. I think there's some opportunity there for, for, uh, dog trainers, like on the professional end who are yeah. going to make a living at it. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I, I mean, even in this area, uh, well, fun, bit of a funny story. When I moved to this area, everybody was sour on border collies yeah. per se. You know, mm -hmm. everybody was running hunt ways or crossed up with something. There was cattle, there was everything. You know, so because of the bush, you guys got here yeah, a little bit of a different mindset. A little bit, and they you were, think? you know what? Oh, but the biggest thing, they were like, ah, Porter Coles ain't tough enough to move our cows. Oh. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, um, okay, sounds good. <laughs> and and honestly, you know, that change, you know, now it's funny because, you know, I've lived in this area, well, at this place for 15 years, but I've been in this area a little bit longer. And I mean, quite a few of those ranches that used to not have Porter Coles have Porter Coles now. Yeah. yeah. Because they've seen what good ones yeah. can do you know that ones that could go do that job and and uh 
So I think it's changing a bunch that way. And I got nothing, don't get me wrong, I don't want to piss anybody off. I do, I have nothing against Hunterways, Kelpies, all breeds. I've had them all. Yeah. So, well, not Hunterways yet, but, um, but uh, I've seen good ones, yeah. Yeah, I've got one so, for yeah, you. Allison's gonna sell me one. But, um, <laughs> and I believe every dog's, every good dog has its place. You bet, absolutely, yeah. You know? So I think it's going to change. I think it's already changing. And I do think the, you know, like my dad and, and Joel ever met, and there's lots of people that are doing these clinics, educating people on how useful dogs are on the ranch and feedlots and farms. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I will admit most of my dogs that I sell do go to ranchers and farmers. Yeah. I don't really sell dogs to travelers. Yeah. So that I think is a good sign. You bet. Yeah. So For sure. Um, what is your proudest moment with a dog? Ooh. Uh, I mean, that, that's probably a hard one. I'm going to have a bit of a funny story on the one proud moment, but I mean, honestly, every day that I can go, you know, when I was younger, obviously we all, we all want those wild west stories about how I rode the buck and horse and roped a wild cow and blah, blah, blah. Nowadays, when I can come home and tell Marla about how we moved all these yearlings or all these cows and the rough country we went through and yeah. we never lost a yearling, we never lost a cow, those are proud moments. Totally. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I got lots of Wild West stories. I don't need them anymore. Yeah. Um, but I love that stuff. But, you know, it, it still amazes me what the dogs can do. Like one time I had a dog called Ring. Some people might have seen me trial. I bought her off of Juan Reyes. I love that dog. And she died way too young in her life. But... One time we were moving some cows and a cow got me down and like got me down in the bush and I mean was camped on me. And if it wasn't for that dog, I, I mean that cow would have like that dog come in there and went to chewing on that cow and got her pulled off, got no the way. cow pulled off me. And if it wasn't for her, that cow was not like that cow come a long ways and was not weakening. Yep. And I slipped on the ice and of course I was like road, road runner going, uh oh, like I'm spinning, I can't get out of there. And I'm crawling around this willow bush going like this is gonna hurt. And I mean this cow did muck me out. And I mean was not weakening until that dog come. And but that dog, like, she lived with me. I love that dog. Like I said, she died unexpectedly Aww. when she was about six. And and but like that like that dog, the stuff that dog did for me and that pea dog I talked about earlier. I know I, I have probably a million stories of moving cattle and things we did that you know, I had another dog called Bear that was a son of peas. One time we were roping, I got paid 400 bucks a calf that I could catch in the bush. If every calf I got loaded in the trailer, I got paid 400 bucks. Oh, that's a fancy calf. And, <laughs> and uh, so I went to roping these things. And I mean, we'd, be, we'd have to trail them like out a long ways to get to a trailer. And this Bear dog, uh, so I'd get them calves roped and tied down or whatever. And then I'd come back and I'd, I'd just get them real short to my horse. You know, of course, some calves are choking out, wanting to choke out on the end of your rope. And that dog would heal them and keep them calves walking beside me so they wouldn't choke out. And I mean, I led, I made a lot of money that day from that dog. <laughs> you know, so things like that, like yeah. I said, I can't do what I do without them good mm-hmm. dogs. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know if I can really um, have, a, have a, like a single story. I probably have lots of them. And in, in the trialing world, uh, not that I've trialed a pile, but... It probably wasn't me that was the was probably the proudest, but Destry trial Destry was not very old, like I'd have to ask Marla, maybe eight or eight years old or so. And he ran that P dog mm. a couple times. One time was up in Rimby at, a tri- at the trial there that they used to have, and then we had some trials at Silver Slate, and I think he did the horseback. And like that old dog, even though he was my dog through and through, like he would work for that kid, my kid, and and honestly that was fun seeing that dog, and it was. And the part that was fun about it is Destry, you know, was young enough. He didn't know, come by, wait to me. And he'd be like, come by, come by. And he'd see P going like, I need to go away to me. So I'm just going to go away to me. Yeah, right. And it would be perfect. Like the dog was right. And that dog was just like, you can tell me whatever I want. I'm just going to put all these cows through these obstacles. And then when we're done, you can pet me. (laughs) And and that, you know, just the intelligence of them dogs, you know, like that stuff. Yeah, those are the, those, those are things that I'll never forget on them kind of dogs, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hope I have more like that someday. Okay. No <laughs> kidding. There's um yeah, like you said, lots of proud moments. Um, what is one of the most influential? Sometimes the influential moments aren't um, the best put together. But what would you say would be an influential moment? Maybe for the way you look at training or uh, something hmm. in your. I don't even know how to answer that one. Oh boy. 
probably every time I thought my dad was wrong and then he was right. Yeah. Those are probably the most influential ones when I had to admit I was wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say on that. I, I, I don't know. I guess I just, I, every day I learn something from them, mm-hmm. you know, my dogs and how, how I want to move cattle or situations again, you know, I, I get to go in lots of the similar situations and, and yet I try, I'll approach it maybe a bit different or different types of dogs that I've had to do the same job I did maybe the year before, but I had different string of dogs and how it went, how the cattle acted. So I'm always learning and, and thinking about that kind of stuff. So I guess that, I don't know how I would define it, define that, uh, that question, but I guess probably, probably the most was, when my dad was right and I was wrong, I yeah, guess. Well, would be the most influential. Yeah, <laughs> most influential when I had to admit that I was like, okay, you're right. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you were to hand out some advice to uh, some new dog enthusiasts out there, whether they be cowboy or whatever, what would you tell them? Uh, get a good one first. Yeah. Don't, don't, like, and get, and I guess go to, go watch lots of, like, go watch dogs, people's dogs. Everybody has a, I don't care, same in the horses. Everybody has a style mm-hmm. of some kind. You know, I can ride 20 horses and if you watch everyone, you're going to find a similar way they work or whatever because that's how I ride. Same with guys that work their dogs, a similar style of dog, similar style of training. So pick pick somebody that you like, their, way, their style of training, like their style of dog, and buy one from him or her. Mm-hmm. And, and then learn how that dog works and how they, and, and get one that, that does that. Because even in the cutting, when somebody starts, I always suggest if you can afford it, buy a trained cutting horse and find out what it really feels like. Right. Mm-hmm. Because then it's easier to go on and then train one yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, it's hard because it's obviously a really nice trained dog and a really nice cutting horse are not very cheap right now. Yeah. So it is hard to do that if you don't have the money. But there is ways around that. I mean, you can buy maybe a dog that's maybe mild out a little bit. Say, you know, like my dogs, when they get to be seven, eight years old, they maybe can't keep up with us anymore. And there's still lots of life in them and they're good dogs. Mm -hmm. You can buy them cheaper than when they were three years old sort of thing in their prime. So try to maybe find one of them dogs that got some miles left in them that, that isn't maybe the miles that I make and learn what one can, you know, and they've already done a million jobs, so they're going to know how to, process they're gonna know how to load cattle and trailers they're gonna know how to mm-hmm. do a dog trial they're no they're gonna be like i was telling you about destry being able to give them the wrong commands and that dog's gonna be like how about i just do what i'm supposed to yeah. then you know what them dogs can do yeah. and then you can train one or you can buy a pup or you can do whatever after that those dogs are the real teachers yeah, yeah. and that's probably the biggest mistake i find everybody buys a pup because it's the cheapest way to get a dog and then they're gonna learn how to train it mm-hmm. and then when it's chasing their horses or trying to kill their neighbor's sheep it never, you know, then they get mad at the dog and that's, and they actually wreck the dog before you even get started. Absolutely. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So buy, buy the best dog you can find and learn from there. But, but get with a person. Cause every, like I said, I guess the part I see it in the horse world too, everybody wants to, it's good to learn from everybody, but you got to have a bit, you got to have a base first. You know, like I, for example, obviously my base was my dad. I'm not, I've learned lots from different guys over the years. But yes, I always go back to that base that I learned from him mm-hmm. and you go from there. You and know? then you got to put the work in. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Well, well, thank you a ton, Dustin, for spending half of your day with us. You're welcome anytime. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> it's too far for me. You're probably safe. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I know that was a, it was an awesome day. Learned a lot, and um, yeah, we appreciate it. Um, do you have anywhere that where that we can kind of plug you in? Say, you know, you you have this Facebook page, or um, well, yeah, oh, yeah, we do have Marla. face. Yeah, where's Marla? I mean, we have uh, Instagram. I'm on that Facebook. Gone Performance Horses got Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. I think that's all we have. You mm-hmm. know, um, kind of a thing. But you know, and I don't do a lot of promotion of the dog world. Yeah. Like, I mean, I put videos of my dogs working or whatever on Facebook and Instagram, but I probably, I don't promote it probably like I should, but it's not, I mean, yes, I, it is a business, but it's kind of one of the things I, I enjoy myself and I just do it because it's what I like. And, mm-hmm. but yeah, definitely, um, usually on, usually on either Dustin Gaunt or Gaunt Performance Horses, mm-hmm. I'll have every once in a while if we're out cowboying, 
you know, we're trailing a bunch of urine through some pretty country or whatever, I'll put a video of the dogs on there working or, you know, processing or something like that. I'll, you know, once in a while people can catch yeah. some videos of the dogs on there, you know, same with the horses. Once in a while we'll have something on there. So, yeah. 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 And like you said, you usually have a few for sale or. Yeah. I, like yeah. So. I'm always wheeling and dealing, I guess, but yeah, yeah I always, like I always tell everybody check in with me every so often because it changes, yeah. you know, and, and lately these last few years I've been more sticking to my, I try to buy outside dogs when I can or if I'm short on dogs, but usually I have quite a few young pups around. Mm -hmm. And of course I usually have too many and then I'm like, okay, we got to sell some of them. <laughs> yeah. So there's always, I always have dogs for sale. Get you on the right day yeah. kind of thing. Like right at the moment it's probably like I don't have, I have a Kelpie for anybody that wants a Kelpie. <laughs> I could sell it. But uh, I actually don't have anything at, for sale at the moment. I'm a little bit short on dogs at the moment yeah. for what I got coming up in the next few months. So, but I got some young pups coming up and whatnot. So yeah, in a few months I always have something kicking around for sale. So. Awesome. Right on. Well, we appreciate it, Dustin. Thank you for giving us your time You're and wisdom. I don't know if it's wisdom, but we talked for a while. Oh, it's good fun. No, yeah. thanks for the conversation. It's great. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you later.